you might have a problem of how am I going to make this career work with kids or um, uh, you know I'm about to negotiate two different projects and if I get both of them I'm going to have too much work to do or am I going to be any good at the next job when I get promoted as opposed to this job those are great problems to try to solve when you have them right if you don't try to solve them now you're going to free up some time and some stress uh, two-thirds of them are going to go away and you actually can't predict what the future holds Welcome to the Darden Leadership Speaker Series. This episode features Richmond Federal Reserve President and CEO Tom Barkin delivering a keynote at the Darden School of Business. In this podcast, he will share 10 life tips he has learned during his career. I did think with this kind of audience, it might be useful uh, to just share with you 10 things that I think I learned in 30 years. Um, If you're counting at home, that means I learned one thing every three years. But still, you know, maybe it'll be useful. Uh, This is the advice that I would have given people at McKinsey. This is the advice I give my uh, kids, and you might like it. And it's not not about how to achieve, because you guys are already pretty damn good at figuring out how to achieve. It's a little about how to achieve uh, and keep your sanity and maybe have a little bit of fun uh, while you do it, to the extent that any of you are interested in that. Um, And I know that central bankers don't usually talk about fun, so I apologize for that. Um, I also know that career consultants don't usually do that, so I apologize for that as well. Um, But after this, um, I'm glad to take questions or comments on this stuff. But also, um, you know, if you're actually interested in what's happening in the economy or monetary policy or any of the things that Bob talked about, I'm glad to take uh, any and everything. And as you'll probably figure out um, in this discussion, uh, I'm pretty direct, so put anything on the table, uh, and I'm a smart ass. So we'll go through all that stuff. Okay, so um, 10 lessons. Uh, So you guys are presumably halfway interested in what you're going to do with your careers after you leave Darden. Uh, The good news is the economy is hotter than it can possibly be, and you're at Darden, so you're going to have a job, right? Um, The question I think you might be puzzling through is what job? Um, And this is the best advice I got when I was thinking about a job, which is, Find someone who you'd like to be like. Now, let me talk about that for a second, because almost any firm can trot out uh, anybody who's halfway impressive, right? So this is not about find a firm that's got somebody impressive, because they'll wheel that guy out during the interview or the cultivation process. This is about find somebody who you really connect with who's lasted a while. Because it's not because that firm somehow figured out this guy was good or gal. It's because this firm figured out uh, that they provided something that would cause this person to stay. So in my case, the guy who ran the Atlanta office when I joined was a guy named Jim Balloon. He was an inspirational guy, uh, really passionate about community service. I'm very passionate about community uh, involvement, also a smart ass. I just really connected with him. And I could tell that an institution that would be able to keep somebody like that is an institution that might have a shot of keeping somebody like me. So who decides to stay? That's actually something worth Uh, focusing on. Uh, Okay, so second, um, now you've got your job. And I used to work a lot with first years at McKinsey, and uh, they were like you. They were smart, and they were talented, and they were achievement-oriented. And I'm sure you're not like this, but the number one thing they were focused on in their first year at McKinsey was, where am I in the range of people you just hired? So here's the problem. The range of performance of first years kind of fits somewhere between this band. Where you needed to be to be a successful partner was somewhere up here. They spent way too much time trying to analyze where they were here and not enough time thinking about the slope from here. Does that make sense? 
I mean, it's unbelievable to me how many really talented people are unable to get focused on growth trajectory and are focused on performance trajectory. And I think we must reinforce that today in the education process and the admissions process and everything else. Um, but, you know, these folks, the folks who got on the right trajectory sought out feedback. And then when it didn't, uh, how do I put this? They didn't just seek out positive feedback. I know they're good at that. They actually found negative feedback. And then when they got negative feedback that wasn't very constructive, they figured out what the constructive piece of it was. They internalized it. Uh, They found whoever was doing the next job and figured out what they did in that job. They figured out how to grow. So second point is focus on slope, not position in the range. Now, um, if you're like me, your lifestyle is going to matter, whether that be... And we've all got our own uh, needs. We like to work out. Obviously, that's not a priority for me. Um, You know, we like to, uh, you might have a family that you want to spend time with, a spouse or significant uh, other. Uh, You might uh, really care about uh, uh, your sleep time. You may really care about, there's a bunch of things that people uh, care about. What's hard is you're going to have a lot of work to do. And, you know, you've all worked before you got here, so you also know what this is like. Uh, the biggest skill I would urge on you is to find out a way to move work from the time that is costly uh, to the time that's costless. So it takes courage uh, to do that. It takes intentionality to do that, um, but it works. Now, that means making choices. Um, uh, some of you like to sleep on planes. Uh, I work on planes. You know, why do I work on planes? That's the costliest time of my week. Right? I can sit there, I've got an hour or two hours or three hours, whatever I've got to get done, I think about it. I actually think about my week and think about moving work that I've got to do onto that plane time. So I love doing that because it's unbelievably costless and I can move the costly time that's there. These choices are going to change over time. Uh, when I was your age, Sunday morning was the costliest time of my week. I'd have been up late Saturday, not that any of you were. I, um, I might have been at a wedding. You can just imagine trying to work uh, Sunday morning after a wedding. Um, when we had kids and they were young, that's when they were up and we were playing. Unbelievably costly. Today, Sunday morning is completely costless. Uh, my kids are gone, and when they're home, they're sleeping until noon. Uh, my wife likes to watch the Sunday shows. So I move whatever work I can to Sunday morning, which is totally uninspiring to you, but it works for me. And I do that because I free up time, you know, to have dinner when the kids are home or to do whatever I do. So uh, this is a skill, uh, and I'd certainly uh, urge it on you. Uh, The fourth is don't try to solve problems you don't have. I know that you're really good at solving problems you don't have, but don't. Um, Why not? Uh, You know, a lot of these problems are going to go away. Uh, You might have a problem of how am I going to make this career work with kids or... um, uh, you know, I'm about to negotiate two different projects, and if I get both of them, I'm going to have too much work to do. Or am I going to be any good at the next job when I get promoted as opposed to this job? Those are great problems to try to solve when you have them. Right? If you don't try to solve them now, you're going to free up some time and some stress. Uh, two-thirds of them are going to go away. And you actually can't predict what the future holds. Uh, once you have kids, if you don't have them already, you're going to feel differently than you feel today in some way, shape, or form that you can't. Uh, predict. You won't get that project, right? And so you don't overstress on today. It frees up your energy and time uh, for the stuff you do need to solve. Okay, so now you're in and you're moving up the ladder. Um, The next piece of advice I've got is that 
no transactions worth a relationship. Um, I worked with zillions of young consultants uh, who maybe are like you, uh, focused, deliverable driven, right? We have a mission, we know what we're doing, I've got to get this thing done. Um, well, you're dealing with a lot of people, clients, who may not be on the same page, right? Um, they've got other issues. They've got other things on their list. You're not the most important thing on their life. Your transaction is their relationship. So there is something about stopping to understand the other person's side of the table and figure out how to invest in the relationship before you invest in the uh, transaction. Um, it's also true when you manage people. Right? Understand what's happening on their side. I'll talk about that in a second. And you'll get more done. Now, if you are managing people, how do you make that work? Uh, I would say uh, all of us know how we want to treat people who we uh, manage. And strangely and coincidentally, it's exactly the way we would like to be treated. Right? Well, you may like direct feedback. That doesn't mean the person you're working with likes direct feedback. You may respond well when challenged. That doesn't mean that the person you work with responds well when challenged. You actually want someone to stop and take the time and get to know the whole you before you start to work together. They may be an introvert. So there's a lot of different types. And again, another skill that they probably don't teach much in school is how do you get on the other guy's side of the table and understand what, how they would really like to be treated? Um, okay, number seven. Uh, so leadership isn't easy. I had dinner uh, with a brand new CEO of a public health company uh, last week. Uh, I asked him how he was enjoying being the, the CEO. He said, I'm really miserable. Um, hmm, I shouldn't have probably told you guys here that at business school, but he's really miserable. Why are you miserable? Um, well, I mean, his board's difficult. Uh, the shareholders have expectations that he inherited. Uh, he's gonna have to shake up his team. Um, the problems he's got exhausted him. Uh, he's not getting a lot of help. Uh, and, and he's stressed out. He really wants to deliver, uh, but he's stressed out. Um, I kind of felt the same way when I took over the Southern offices. I was the CFO of McKinsey. Every, every new job I had, I, I felt the same way. The pressures and in the incoming are here of people giving you their problems. And you've got to find a way emotionally to absorb uh, and learn and, and find a way to, to thrive in that environment. Um, what I found was there are things and people that give me positive energy. And again, for some of you, that'll be uh, working out. Uh, I had a set of people that I would just get on my calendar and schedule lunch with just because I knew at the end of that lunch I'd be up and ready to face the day. But this notion of actually wiring your day, week, or month to make sure you've got enough positive energy moments coming in to give you the fuel to take the negative uh, would be number seven. Um, exploit natural synergies. Uh, so I like to read. Uh, so I bonded with clients uh, on books. Um, I like baseball a lot. I also like uh, spending time with our first-year associates. So, you know, I scheduled my first-year associates to go to baseball games. I got to do what I wanted to do, and, you know, I got to spend time with associates. They all worked together. I basically cut the workload in half. Um, that does have issues. I saw Randy Johnson pitch a perfect game with three people who'd never been to a baseball game before. But... <laughs> You know, if, but again, and you'll, you'll get the theme as I go through this. There's a theme of intentionality. There's a theme of efficiency. There's a theme of figuring out what you want to do and find a way uh, to make it work. Uh, genuine enthusiasm. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to do a lot uh, in my career. As I said, at McKinsey, I ran the offices in the South. I was our CFO. 
Um, I'm on the board of the U.S. Golf Association, Emory University, uh, the Atlanta Fed, the Atlanta Chamber. Um, but none of those things came because I went to someone and said, I'd like to be involved in the Atlanta Fed or the Atlanta Chamber or the, or the U.S. Golf Association. They all came because of genuine enthusiasm. You meet somebody, you figure out what they're doing, you couldn't be more excited about what they're doing. Genuine enthusiasm, not fake enthusiasm. And, you know, uh, they, over time they go, well, this is the kind of thing I bet Tom would like doing. Right, the opposite, which I see everywhere, is people trying to elbow their way in. Hey, you're doing that, I'd really like to do that someday. Well, that's the last time anyone wants you to do something, to feel you're careering your way into it. As opposed to engage with people, understand what they do, understand yourself well enough to know what you're excited about, uh, and get involved. So leverage the power of genuine uh, enthusiasm. Uh, by the way, just to tell one story on Scott, which uh, Beardsley, who I'm sure, which I'm sure you know, he got his PhD while he's working at McKinsey. Who does that? I mean, he had a full-time job plus, but he was excited enough about education and his own education that he invested in that. And I'll bet that mattered a lot when he interviewed for the job. So genuine enthusiasm, I think, is something worth um, uh, exploring. Finally, don't trade uh, happy for the prospect of happier. Now, I want to assure all of you, I have lived this in my home life for 26 years with Robin. Um, I'm very happy. I'm not out there looking to find a way to get somehow happier. But I also think that's worth thinking about in your work life. Um, There's an old saw that says the average business school graduate changes jobs four or five times in the first 10 years. I think that's actually a place where statistics lie. I think uh, the median actually doesn't change jobs much at all. But there's some people who change jobs 10 or 12 times, and they bring up uh, the average. Um, What I always thought in a job is if you're good at something or potentially good at something, then trying to trade uh, happy today or potentially happy today or in tomorrow for the prospect of happier somewhere else is a very risky uh, trade. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, and you know the devil you have, if you can find a way to be good at it, is almost always uh, better than the devil you don't know. The Darden Leadership Speaker Series is held on Darden Grounds in Charlottesville, Virginia, and events are open to the public. To learn more, visit us at darden.virginia.edu.